Oh boy, I love that one. <sighs> Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. It's a pleasure to be back with you again this week. Um, I'm reminded, based on the slide presentation and just on people that I've met here, um, that I'm the principal of a theological college uh, here in Vancouver. There's a variety of them. Uh, but I, I just want to remind you all that um, the church needs leaders, good leaders, and you may have those amongst you whose gifts you've seen, and you might uh, speak to them about following up on what God has inclined them to do. I often think of that passage in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit said to the church at Antioch, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Uh, very often in church, we, we think that leadership is about my volunteering my services. That, that passage is interesting because the Holy Spirit said to the church to set aside Paul and Barnabas. It was the church that recognized through the help of the Holy Spirit the gifts of people in their midst. And they were both commissioned as missionaries as a result of the congregations uh, listening to the word of the Holy Spirit. So I charge you to look amongst you. Keep your eyes open for whom God has gifted and encourage them uh, to, to serve the gospel uh, in positions of leadership. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks for this Lord's Day in which you have gathered us together. Grant us now the gift of the Holy Spirit that in the light of the gospel we may see light, and in the light of the truth of the gospel we might find freedom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever noticed that inside many churches, including this one in the sanctuary of the building, you can't even see out there, that is, the wider world? Uh, very often through the Beauty of stained glass or clever architecture, sitting in church can cut you off from the world out there. I suppose that many of us come to church for precisely that reason. We, we get some peace and quiet here. We're glad that in here is protected from out there. The inside of churches are very often like oases for us, away from the trouble and turmoil of life. I have been to many churches and have noticed that in some of them they print right in the bulletin a line like, please remain quiet during the prelude is a time of prayer and meditation. 
If I can paraphrase, I think what we're trying to say is, could you please be quiet for a minute? Uh, Give me some peace here in this quiet place called church. The place where we all meet to worship God, you know, this part of the church we call the sanctuary. It's a safe place, an ordered place, a place of quiet and reverence and beauty. I looked in the dictionary this week at the work sanctuary, and here's what it said. A sanctuary is a protected area where wildlife is safe from predators. (laughs) Do you ever feel that that this space, worship space, does that for you? Here with your cell phone temporarily turned off or at least on vibrate, earbuds pulled out, you're safe from predators. Want to eat up your time, your psychic balance, your peace of mind. In worship, we have a place of repose. It's sanctuary. And and very often, worship does save us from extinction. And and look at how we do things in worship. This morning, I got a a list of how things happened with the time appropriate to each item. Uh, We haven't followed it, incidentally. (laughs) But I'm a Presbyterian, right? Uh, I mean, we are uptight about good form in church. For Presbyterians, the most important verse in the whole Bible is do everything decently and in order. The most ordered and planned and carefully orchestrated event of the week for many of us is church. Everything uh, we do in church is designed to induce peace and harmony. I have noticed that in many churches... The, the, the pews are bolted to the floor. The furniture is fixed, steadfast, and immovable. And many churches look like a fortress. The pulpit is up here, six feet above. Contradiction. Uh, friends, these are the bulwarks and bunkers that we build against the intrusions of chaos and conflict and turmoil and upset. I remember a parishioner once coming to me after a service, shaking my hand at the door and saying, you know, Richard, I need the order and structure that church gives my fragmented life. It tends to wear off about Wednesday. The meeting of the saints is organized and graceful and structured. It, It points, perhaps, toward the world as it one day will be. At the end of time, when when all of us will be caught up in the endless worship of God. When heaven and earth will be made over again. When God will wipe away the tears from all eyes. When justice and peace will embrace. When swords will be beaten to plowshares from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. Well, and then, then somebody's cell phone rings during worship. Then a baby cries out during the sermon, and then the city workers think that Sunday morning would be a good time to plow the street or bust up the pavement. And then somebody needs medical attention during the service, and, and, or someone comes in who we don't know that well and walks unnervingly close to the front into our controlled and rehearsed world of the church. Very often the outside world does intrude. I still recall a wedding rehearsal I once had, the the bride's father walking arm in arm down the center at the rehearsal, and his phone rang, and he stopped and took the call. Wow, I I spoke to him, and I said, "I, I sure hope that doesn't happen tomorrow. His daughter was way less diplomatic in what she said. 
despite the most carefully planned, the most careful plans of the clergy, the most rehearsed preparations of church musicians, uh, things go awry in church. Glitches occur, and of all places, worship. It seems that chaos and disorder can't be kept at bay in our lives. Predators seem to hunt even in the sanctuary. And let me press just a little further. Chaos comes with us to church. You see, the reason that chaos or sanctuary is hard to come by isn't just because the outside world intrudes by light and sound and cordless connection into this place. Let's face it, we all come to church dragging our demons with us. And peace and quiet very often gives, give demons a chance to speak up. Think of nighttime, right, when all is quiet and serene, and then what bubbles to the surface. While it's quiet and dark outside, it can be a witch's brew inside. We have a restlessness in our lives that even a new mattress is not going to solve. Church and worship can be like that. The, the quiet conjures up the demons we've brought with us in in the quiet of worship, you have to face up to who you are and, and what you're becoming. And, and that can bring you face to face with the trouble in your life. The avoidance we practice in life by keeping busy gets cracked open when we sit in the silence of church. The restlessness we sometimes feel in worship about keeping things moving and covering over everything with music can be our reluctance to face what our lives are becoming. Uh, many of us came this morning with, with worry and addiction in our lives, sadness and indifference, grief and regret, and, and all sorts of other worries. Or they can get busy inside of our head right here in church. The ordered world of church, especially its silence, almost provokes a confrontation with chaos. Chaos gets to us in church. Demons have our name. And they, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And he taught as one who had authority, and they were astonished. Jesus gives his first sermon ever in our gospel lesson from Mark. He goes to church with his disciples, and, and Jesus gets to offer comments. Uh, Jesus appears in Mark as a teacher, a rabbi, doing what rabbis do. You see, the world of the synagogue was an ordered world. There was, like in church, routine expectations, an order of service, and prayer and praise to the God of Israel. And it all goes well that Sunday, that Sabbath in church. Says the crowd was astonished. They liked the young new preacher. And they were astonished not so much at what he said, but at how he said it. He teaches with authority, with power. Unlike other teachers, including this one, who likes to use quotations from other people when the going gets tough, Jesus uses no footnotes. What he says rests on the fact that Jesus says it. He speaks, and the strength of his words rests solely on the fact that it's Jesus saying this. Jesus' words, they do things to people who hear them. He says it, and it cuts right through you. He speaks, and his words leave a cruciform mark on your life. 
his word seer and heal and touch. It's, it's as though listening to Jesus, we get all permeable. There's no defense against his words. They expose our need and meet the need in the speaking of them. It's both frightening and life-giving. Listening to this teacher come from God. His words pack a punch. It's like later in Mark's gospel when he stills the storm. He just says, peace, be still. And St. Mark says, and the winds ceased. He teaches with authority. He does what he wishes with words. And what he wishes is the good of those to whom he speaks. What a great synagogue service. And then the cell phone rings. Predators are hunting in this sanctuary. A raving man stands up and howls menacing threats at the preacher. I have had this happen. It is unnerving. <laughs> It seems this guy was there the whole time in the service. He, he came with his demons in tow, and Jesus' astonishing teaching provoked his demons. Imagine coming to church just looking for some sweet peace and quiet, and what you get is your demons provoked. Jesus won't leave well enough alone. Maybe Jesus, later in this gospel, will speak peace to storms, but this time Jesus' words stir up a storm. I don't know what Jesus said to set this guy off in church, but, but it did. His powerful words cut to the quick and touched him in places maybe he wanted just left alone. Maybe Jesus' ser uh, uh, sermon, if my experience has anything to do with what upsets people in church, maybe Jesus gave a sermon on, like, money uh, or politics or ethical investment. Maybe Jesus said to a group of accomplished people, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become a child. There's no self-made people in the kingdom of God. I don't know what, what, what he said, but I do know that Jesus is big on getting into the face of demons that hitchhike into church. Uh, Jesus has a way of getting into everything. In an adult Bible study I teach, we've been studying the Gospels of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and a woman said to me uh, after the session was over, she said, you know, Richard... I just don't get the feeling that Jesus was always nice. It made me think of C.S. Lewis, you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy asks about the Christ figure Aslan, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe. But he is good. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The sense here is that what holds this man's life in the grip of chaos says, why are you interfering with us? What, what does Jesus of Nazareth have to do anyhow with how I spend my time, my money, my life, what I hope for? Why are you getting up into my grill Jesus, into my personal life. What do you mean to get all up in the face of greed and lust and consumption that knows no end? Who do you think you are, Jesus, to drag your personal religious convictions into the common life of our community? Did you get the point here? Jesus of Nazareth, back off. 
I think that's why the serenity of church is constantly interrupted. Jesus is always getting into matters personal and political and economic and what you do with your life. And the demons who are used to having their sway, well, they get nervous. I've noticed that in the broad sweep of the biblical story, demons ramp up their program at the coming of the Son of God. Jesus is about to crack it all wide open here. It makes me think of the lines from that wonderful Leonard Cohen piece anthem, Ring the bells that still will ring, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. One of the delightful features of this passage is that the demons have Jesus' name. See, in the ancient world, if you had someone's name, you had power over them. But in this case, while the demons have Jesus' name, they have no power over him. He has power over the demons. See, I think that's St. Mark telling us, friends, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Holy One come from God. His teaching packs a wallop. He's come to set things right in the world. He's taking back what belongs to God, and he'll do it even if it, if it kills him. He does things with words, for he is the word. You know, you listen to passages like this in the Bible, and it can make, can make coming to church and listening to what Jesus has, has to say to us seem like a very brave thing to do. I think it was the American Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Annie Dillard, who recorded, you know, when people come to church, we hand out bulletins at the door. She says, the way I read the stories of Jesus, we should be giving people crash helmets at the door. <laughs> the demons of greed and lust, of self-sufficiency and pride and sloth and envy and hopelessness and despair at the way the world is, ask, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus says, shut up and come out of him. I think that means, yes, I, I have come to destroy you. God, through Jesus, exercises the liberating power of love to loose us from the chaotic powers that suck the life out of us. Jesus does things with words, just like the creator who said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus does this for every life, held by chaos. The lights come up, the chaos is beat back, and convulsing and crying with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. Now, I know we're all sophisticated people here in the early 21st century, but friends, we have arrived here today with our demons in tow. None of us is free from the threat of chaos. We're worried we're, we're, we're overwrought, we're overwhelmed. Some of us are grief-stricken. Some of us are sad, which is an interesting... I've been reading a man on sadness, and sadness is what people my age get. You know, where you had imagined your life would go one way, and it didn't quite go the way that you wanted it to go, and so you spend your day sticking the knife in other people to make sure things don't go well for them, right? Sadness. Greed has its way with us. Many of us are about to give up and to give in to, to less than what God wants for us. And some of us are lonely and afraid, maybe envious of others. Chaos 
truth be told, has laid its clutches on every one of us. Friends, sanctuary free from predators is hard to find. About five years ago, I was the guest preacher at a mainline Protestant church in Calgary. And the sermon on that Sunday was a dialogue sermon. The, the, the resident minister sat in one chair and I sat over there next to him. And the text for the day included the story of St. Paul's conversion. You, you know the story, the lights and the voice and the new calling on Paul's life. The minister of that congregation said in front of everyone with just, just he and I and 400 people in the congregation, he said, hey, hey Richard, you're a theologian. What do you make of this conversion stuff? I mean, I mean, we're mainline Protestants. Do, do we do this? Well, I, I stuttered a bit at the question and... And then I gave an answer from my favorite theologian, Bob Dylan, who said, you've got to serve somebody. You might be the king of England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. But you've got to serve somebody. might be the devil or it might be the Lord. But you've got to serve somebody. I said, it isn't a matter of whether you're converted. It's a matter of whether what you're converted to is worth your life. He said, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. And then Robert came to the mic. Robert wore a T-shirt that was too short to cover his stomach. He looked really unkept. He came to the pulpit and started to read deadpan from a half sheet of paper, yellow with the lines turned the wrong way. He said, uh, I used to live on the street. I was violent. My brother and I used to roll people. And then I stumbled into this church's coffee shop. People there were kind to me and my brother. They helped me kick drugs and alcohol. I, it took a while. I disappointed them all the time. It wasn't easy for them or for me. He said, now, now I have a house. I have a dog. I'm engaged to be married. I guess God helped me. That, that's all I got to say. St. Mark says, and they were all amazed. So that they questioned themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching? With authority. He commands even unclean spirits. And they obey him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, light shining in the darkness, have mercy on our tired and doubting hearts. Renew us in the courage we need to bring to completion the work your calling has begun in us and in the world that you so love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.